Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good to see all of you. We're continuing in our series, uh, Bingeworthy, and I'm so glad that you're here in the sanctuary together. Being together, as we find, is much harder than it was a couple of years ago. Can anyone say amen? All right, good. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about the story. We're going to wrap up our series of Bingeworthy, but I want to talk to you about the general theme of Scripture and why we read it. The Bible, okay, is God's story, God's account. And God wrote this account, not, it's not just the words that you find in Scripture, but what makes it important <clears throat> is that He wrote it into the fabric of humanity, okay? And a part of what we do when we study Scripture, when we read the Bible, <clears throat> when we pray, is we are, in actuality, learning <clears throat> God's language. That's it. God, you know, when we think about reading a book, you may read a technical book, you want to learn how to do something, go online, find a video, learn, I mean, I'm always doing this, getting my fly fishing better. I know so many knots now after service, if any of you want to get together and have a knot fellowship, we can do that. But what we find with God is something completely different. I mean, it's so easy to sanitize all of this and turn it into a churchy thing, right? We, we love doing that. And it becomes a religious experience. And reading Scripture is, is learning how to obey God and understanding what He has to say. However, <clears throat> I want to, to pitch to you today that all of Scripture is binge-worthy because it is not simple. It is not simple at all. In fact, you have the writers of the Old Testament. These people, these writers were brilliant. <clears throat> and and they, they write in a language that is much different than our own, and it creates expectations that are different than our own. A lot of detail that we would like is missing, but it's there because this book, this uh, <clears throat> account, is something that God has meant for us to pay attention to if wherever you come into it in your life, for the whole of your life, okay? This is not something that you just get down, and I'm going to understand the Bible, I'm going to learn some things, and then I'm going to have it all down. No, you're not going to do that. This is something that becomes, in, if you stay there, and if you are in prayer, and if you're being moved by the Holy Spirit, well, this is what happens. <clears throat> then you, my friends, and I start to begin to become a part of the story and the fabric work of God's message to this world. You see, the great joy in all of this is that God is, if you read it all the way through Scripture, there is a theme that just rides all the way through. There is this theme that says God created humans to hang out together with God in the garden. God created a place like a temple, His own temple, a a dwelling place to be with human beings. But then there's a rebellion that takes place, right? And the rebellion causes this severance of relationship. And out of that comes chaos, more chaos and more trouble, eventually until you have the Tower of Babel. 
where you have everyone building this great tower up for the memorial of mankind, separated from God. And this is what happens when mankind is separated from God. It turns downward, backward, chaotic. And that chaos produces all types of, of just nefarious deeds, evil, and the like, period. That's the story of humanity. And then you have Abraham and and Sarah coming out of Babel, out of that land where that was born, and they, they're promised a whole new life with God, and that God would bring forth from their family this, a new start, a new chance to have a, a, a signified relationship with the living God. You see, <clears throat> that story continues on. They become a people group in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. They have their own land, and then they're sent back into exile into Babylon again when they've turned away from the living God and don't want to follow Him anymore. And then all of a sudden they return. We read about Ezra and Nehemiah, the return back to the land, building the temple, building the walls, rebuilding the culture. And it moves all the way. There, there, there's this desire for this leader to come along, this promised one. He's known as the anointed one, the Messiah. And so when he shows up, his name is Jesus. And he begins to go around preaching about the kingdom of God is at hand. And that he, in his life, will be fulfilling that whole process in his person. Because we're told that he pre-existed with the Father and became human, and came and lived among the human beings, and proclaimed the gospel, and then became a complete, perfect sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Because humanity is in a constant drift back into chaos. And so the mission of God and the story of God, we find, culminates with, finally, this Jesus who became a human being, who ascended to the throne of God, who did not change. There is a visual representative of humanity in heaven right now on the throne of God. He said he will return. And what happens? Well, all of a sudden, the earth is renewed. There is a beautiful garden. And the, the kingdom of heaven and the city of heavenly Jerusalem comes down. And once again, God is dwelling among his people. And you say, well, that's a kind of a very simple story. It is, my friends. But it takes a lifetime to fully comprehend it. Because we are put here, and I just want to say this about Scripture. If you're just trying to understand some things so that you can learn to walk in Christ, good on you. But you're going to miss out on the real big stuff. The real big stuff is this, is that you and I, human beings, were created in the image of God. We were created to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. And so that means that if you and I just see God as an ends to a means, that means that, God, can you help me with my life? Can you help me with my marriage? Can you help me with my job? Can you help me with my mind and my temptations? God, 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 help me. Okay, good. That's, God can, God will. But we're missing out the whole binge-worthy nature, otherworldly prospect of this whole narrative. And that is, God is continually inviting us he was inviting humanity. Did he, why did he do this with the Jews? Well, they became special because he wanted to 
tell the world something through a group of people. Then the Messiah comes, Jesus, and He says, I want to tell the world something. I want to take back against the chaos the way that I want it to be, and I want to speak to the world through their people, another group, pe- group of people. This time, it's every tribe and it's every nation, okay? So, if, if you say, look, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and I'm, I, I believe in that and I trust in that, all of a sudden, you are being pulled into a story that is being written in the world. And this, we find, is the language of God. And what you and I are are doing in our life is learning how to speak the language of God. We're going to be speaking about this in the next coming weeks, especially in context of prayer and learning the language of God. Because it's not just God listening to us, God reaching down and caring about us, but it's God It's this creative, amazing being, God himself, who says, I am doing something. And if you're going to pay attention, you'll get to be a part of it, and you'll see it, and it will be glorious. What happened in the New Testament? Well, the New Testament was that we're not going to fight people anymore. We're not going to continue the violence anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to love our enemies. What? Love your enemies. We're going to do good to those who persecute us. We will let the full force of a nation's rage come upon us, i.e. Rome, whatever nation it might be, and we'll let the evil come against us just like it did with Jesus, and that begins to change the world into a way that God wants it to be. You, do you get the picture here? That it, it's, it's turning the tide, and God will do that in your life and in my life, but we're a part of this great story. You're not, I'm not at the center of this story. Thank God. But it can seem that way to us. God either loves me or He doesn't love me based upon how He answers my prayers. It's very, very base level. This story, this life, is is the process of learning to get beyond ourselves and enjoy the greatness of God. How many of you feel connected to God when you go out and you're in the wilderness. You smell the pines or the stream and all of that beauty, or you see the stars at night. Your mind immediately goes to God. That was put there as a story of who He is, and He's speaking to you, and He's speaking to the whole world by His creation. Just as if you went into a gallery and saw a beautiful painting or sculpture that artist is speaking to those who will spend the time to look upon it. As we read the Bible, it's not just some kind of thing, this religious book here that's antiquated and it's a part of my church. That's to miss out on everything. It is a record of God 
with human beings and it's complex and it's deep and it begs us to enter in not only with our minds but with our hearts and eventually with our lives. And then he calls us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what is, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, we're told in the Scripture that He is just the same as Jesus. But that everyone who calls upon the name of God will have Him in their life. And He will speak to you. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice that there are a lot of circumstances that would seem coincidental, but they are not. They are, an, in actuality, God teaching you to learn His language in this world. Now, if it's all about you, then a lot of that coincidences are magical thinking on your part because somehow you're always the person in the middle of the story. But if you're out there looking as an adventurer, paying close attention, you're going to learn God's language and He will teach it to you to hear His voice, to see it in circumstances. That's why we spend our time studying Scripture, because I want to know more. There's, it, it, eternity has been set in our hearts so that there is a desire for us to know something more. And especially now, you can see it in people's lives. For the person who says, only this life is here. There's nothing beyond this life. There's, there's no spirit. It's only just a corporeal being with no spirit, no afterlife, nothing, no God. Then all of the world events can become very terrifying for people. Have you noticed an increase in fear in people's hearts? Yes, you have. Maybe in your own heart but it's because you and I were meant to know God and to learn His language. And if you can get just a little bit of that inspiration, God will pull you and I into a different view of the world. There's nothing better than an observation deck a place where that you can get a better view of things. And God is constantly calling us up. Okay, take one more step. Take one more step. I want to show you something from up here, and you can see it. See, that, that is where real life begins. I know Instagram is fun. I know having your picture is amazing. But being able to see God's work being able to know what he's doing, searching after him on a daily basis. That's the real adventure. That's the real payoff. That's the real deal. That's what God offers every human being. So with that, that's an intro into a story that I believe sums all of this up. Jesus told it as a parable to teach a lesson. And I believe that lesson is about God Himself. And it's a story that many of you know as the prodigal son. But Jesus says He's going to teach about the Father and about the nature of who God is. There's a lot of speculation as to who God is. But if you want to know, 
the, the, the person who has the greatest authority would be Jesus himself. And he says this. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, look, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. He was little, he didn't understand it, how good he had it, but he was under the protection of the Father. He was close to the Father. Think about Adam and Eve and subsequently what happened in the garden. Began to squander all of the good that he had in riotous living. It, it devolved into chaos. Life without God is chaotic, okay? Life without God is chaotic. He was cultivating sin, harvesting sorrow, and building scars. That's, that's what the rebellion a, a, against God does. It cultivates sin, it harvests sorrow, and it builds scar tissue. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, in the whole country, and he had begun to be in need. You see, it wasn't just this sense of, okay, I spent all my money, I got to go back home. There was great need all across the land, not only him, but everyone. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, he went to his field to feed pigs, to someone, the group of people that Jesus was speaking to, pigs were not as loved as they are today. I mean, in American culinary, in the culinary world, the pig is at the peak of the meats, you know what I mean? But in his culture, absolutely not. And this guy had a job taking care of him, and, and he just he was so hungry, he longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. But then he had memories of his father. He had memories of his home. And humanity can develop these memories of goodness. And they come from the very presence of God. He began to wake up. <clears throat> when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death. You see, you can look at a famine. You can look, and famines are terrible because there's starvation. There's not a, plenty. There's little. There's a diminishing of, diminishing of supply. And uh, have you been to the grocery store lately? You're like, hey, what's going on? There's probably some hoarding go going on too. Those of you who are hoarding food, let me know because I want your numbers just in case. Something bad goes on. I'm joking. But you see the world and you think, God, why are we in such chaos? Chaos is what the world does apart from God. That's what it produces. Chaos, if we are listening, can bring us to our senses to seek God truly in this life. I was thinking, 
There's reasons to stay. I should stay here probably, you know? Why? Why should I go back? Well, there's shame. I don't want to go back and be shamed. Maybe they'll reject me. There's a fear that the community won't have anything to do with me anymore. There's that stupid son that went and blew all of his father's money. What a disrespectful jerk. And you know, that's the way people would think, right? You wouldn't say, oh, there's that sweet kid that ruined his dad's finances. No. The community probably would reject him. But there are reasons to return because he knew that his father was merciful. And he knew that in his father's house, there was a better life. And all of it was worth the risk because of the father. You see, within him, there was a new resolve, a relinquishing of rights, the the idea of repenting, turning around from the direction you're going and head back and seek restoration. You see, that's been God's mission to humanity. That's been God's language to humanity from the beginning. Stop heading to chaos. Stop rejecting me. I want you to have a life and to have it in fullness and to enjoy my creation with me, not separate from me. You weren't made to be separate from me. You were made to be with me. And to miss out on him is to miss out completely. So he said, I will sit up back to my father's house and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he began heading back home. He was heading to the scene of the crime where his father was. And verse 20 says, he did something about it. And, and here, here's Jesus' call to humanity. Turn around, if you find yourself in a place like this, turn around and seek me. If you have wandered, if you have just forgotten about God, put God out of your mind, he said, I'm still there. And so he returned home. Who does he return home to? A mean father? Does he return home to a dad who's ready to just... Lay it on him, thick. Yeah, that's right, you're going to be one of my servants. You're going to go sleep out in the barn. And after you have somehow managed to gain some respectability, then I might consider you my son again. That's what the son thought in his mind would be good payment. You know, it's interesting to me is that you and I, human beings, we, we can come up with an idea of perfection at the same time acknowledging that you and I aren't perfect. How do we even come up with an idea of perfection? The idea of perfection that you and I can come up with is by its very nature faulty. That means if you came up with it, it's probably not perfect, period. That's that's just the truth of the matter. And he has an idea of the way his father should treat him. God's ways are so much different and so much higher. He says here, he got up and went to his father, verse 20. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion. Remember, this is an image of the Father God. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, over here. Bring the best robe that I have, my favorite coat. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For my son, for this son of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, and they began to celebrate. That is the big picture story of God. You see, God wants to redeem that which is lost. God wants to make better the things that have turned into chaos. And one day, that leader, that perfect leader, will return and set all accounts right in this world. But he calls us to enter into the story to love humanity, to care for humanity, to call humanity. Hey, you're out there, you're living in a pig pen. Come back to God because His plans for you are so much better. Oh, yes, we as human beings can create great things, enter into great heights, but have you noticed that the presence of evil in this world has not diminished whatsoever? Have you noticed that technology hasn't taken care of evil? You know, I've noticed that the more we understand about science and, and more that we advance technologically, evil just seems to be leaving the world. It isn't. It doesn't. Chaos is there. And God says, God is the one who created the world out of disorder and chaos. Out of it came order and goodness and love. And the way that he, he, he treats humanity is, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. He gives a son. <clears throat> Excuse me. He gives a son what he asked for, lets him go, doesn't intervene. He watches and waits, and the father is not bitter or angry. The father does not shame the son. The father loves the son. God is very concerned about people, especially those who've lost their way. We set of, separate ourselves from God. We are bound to wander in sin. Sin is relational. It rejects God. It rejects this rule. It separates us from life. Repentance is relational too. It's turning back to God. It's returning to God in humility, seeking mercy, sanctified, with a position just as being a servant. And when we experience God's forgiveness, my friends, we learn to love Him more. We're more grateful, we're more humble, and we're able to forgive others freely. That's the big point. Because here's what happens. The next part of this story is you have the critical brother. Okay? 
who comes along and says, look, why are you doing this for him? And, and, and we like to say that he's the bad guy, but he's like the rest of us. Like the rest of us. Why are you treating my brother who just spit in your face? Why are you treating him like this? Why have you killed the fatted calf? The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you gave me, you haven't even given me one goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, my father said, you always are with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and alive again. He was lost and he's found. You hear that heart of God even speaking to the critical son. Son, I know you're upset about this, but you have to understand we had to celebrate because what was on my heart the whole time is that my son was lost. There's an indicator here. There's a story here. There's the language of God being given to us here. Okay? God's not so much into just religion. Although, I I don't like when people say that, you know, I'm not into religion, I'm into a relationship. Whatever. Yay, YouTube. Whatever you saw that on or read. This is the heart of God. And, and where we can blow it in our mission is we, this is the son who's there with the father. He sees the life that the father has provided. He has the ethics of the father right at hand. And yet, his heart is not the same as the father. He doesn't care that his son, his brother, went out and is ruining his life. He deserves it. What a jerk. And my friends, if you and I don't forgive other people and don't have a heart of forgiveness in us and we have a critical spirit about how people are blowing it in the world, we're not getting into God's story. We're actually kicking against God's story because God wants to restore. That's His whole deal. That's it. And so... If you've been around the faith for a long time, you've served God for a long time, and you've been in church, and you know all of the right things to do, the do's and the don'ts, your temptation is to become like the older son that would say, well, people are getting what they deserve. People, you know, that's what those people, those people deserve because they do this, and they've turned against God, and they're reaping the fruits of their life, and so be it. And God defies you, and God defies me, and he says, uh, wait, we have to celebrate because you don't understand what's important to me. This ranch, <laughs> this farm, uh, all of the animals that we have are good for our dwelling and flourishing, but these are not my money that he spent. He took as his own inheritance. Those things don't matter to me. It's 
it's the people, it's my son that matters to me. And, and if there's some loud voice from heaven calling out in his language, I would hear it saying, people, stop hurting each other. Stop dividing. Stop being unforgiving. Stop being unmerciful. Because I made you for something better and bigger. And so what does he do? He ends the whole thing by talking about a celebratory meal. <clears throat> Fast forward to just before Jesus goes to the cross. He, uh, he tells them that <clears throat> what he had received from the Lord, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to pass on to you. And that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And whenever you drink this cup and you eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, somehow, God created us to enjoy food, right? You honestly, you literally, you can't live without it. And it's, it's like, to me, it's like the gift in life is becoming a foodie. My, my, my grandson has a little bib that says a foodie in training. I'm, it's true. But there's something that he's made us to not only have sustenance from food, but to gather around it. There's something about taking it in. And each of we're all taking in the same food. Did you here, try this? Try, you got to try this. My mom's pasta. Oh, you won't believe it. Guess what that is? Guess it's basil. Yeah, okay, it's basil. Jesus invites us into a meal. That's why we take communion at, uh, all, every month. Some people every week. He invites his disciples into a meal to enjoy each other and enjoy him. And he says, but I'm going to tell you, ultimately, this whole picture, the story that I'm telling in real time in humanity is about partaking of me. To be filled and sustained by God Himself. To be filled and sustained and satisfied and to be filled with joy with God taking His provision, His life. That's the big deal. What car you drive? Cool. But you'll wind up hating your car the day that you pull over on the side of the road and you have to call AAA. All of these things that become so important to us, God calls us to say, okay, these things aren't bad. In and of themselves, they're good. 
but you are being satisfied with a weak substitute. My mom loved telling this story about my older brother. He lives here in Albuquerque, and he's just a, a great guy. But she tells a story of when the kids were younger. My dad was a, a pastor, and things were pretty tight, small towns, small churches. And so one of the constant meals in the family was somehow having a bologna sandwich. Any of you still admit to eating bologna? It's the common man's pate. I, I love it. That's no baloney. But they went over to a parishioner's home. The parishioner had some cow, cattle and so forth, and so they had steak. And my mom and my dad were just ecstatic, like, we're going to have a steak tonight. This is awesome. And all of a sudden, from the other end of the table, there came this wincing little voice, and it was my older brother who was about six years old at the time, and she said, "Hun, why are you crying? He goes, I wanted baloney. <laughs> and I love that because I think of what God wants to bring us into, and we're just satisfied with what we've known and what we've had and God wants to bring us into a whole new language, a whole new palette, a whole new relationship with Him. And my friends, this thing called faith in God and a relationship with God is binge-worthy. It's worthy of all of our attention. And you can mess up and do it wrong and make it ugly. You ever seen someone make their first cake? really beautiful? Get $20, $30 for it? No. Maybe it tastes like salt. They got the sugar ratio off. Folks, it's not to be intimidated. It's to be close to God and to do it with Him and to live with Him and to enjoy God, to know Him and enjoy Him forever. That's the story that we find in Scripture. God looking on the horizon saying, I hope they come home. I hope they come home. Because when they do, I'm going to throw a party. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.